Good evening, welcome back to another episode. This is John Rosenberg, live from Jacksonville. I'll be your host on this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today we're going to talk about Fidel Castro, um, the longest dictator in the 21st century. Um, I will call this podcast Fidel Castro Unbiased. The reason I say unbiased because I want to be real with this with this um, podcast. I know the white Cubans in Miami, they're going to be mad about this because a lot of them were shipped out the country because they didn't want to negotiate with Castro. Now, I understand that, you know, if you if Castro have killed your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, you may feel different about him. That being said, the question you should ask yourself, did he help the country? Yes and no. I'll say yes. Under Baptista leadership, and you have to remember that was the 1940s to 1950s, all the way down to 1960 when Castro took over. When Castro took over, the country was in, in shambles. At that time, the mafia was running the country, the Italian mafia specifically. That's where Las Vegas started from Cuba, and then they moved it to Vegas because um, they shut down. Castro shut down all the casinos because they wasn't making no money from, from the casinos. Only the mafia was making money from the casino. You can go look it up yourself. And Batista let the mafia run rapid to the country. So Batista also stole $400 million from the National Bank. And he ended up um, exiled to Spain. And that's where he did he died in his later years. Fidel Castro was a lawyer. He went to the Jesuit school in Cuba. Then during the, uh, his, uh, when he was a student, he had got an offer to work with uh, Batista. During during when Batista, and Batista was killing a lot of people that back then. He was killing people like I think he killed about forty thousand people at that particular time, which he get a lot of help from the U.S. government. So he ended up killing a lot of people in Cuba. So at that time, Che Guevara, he's from Argentina. He's also a doctor. He studied medicine, and he was a student also. So Che Guevara and Castro and the other compadres, they went to Mexico. And you know the story. They went to Mexico. They galvanized the group in the mountain. They become guerrilla warfare, and they went and took down the government. That being said, Castro himself, throughout you know the 60s, he came to America. That's during the JFK administration and the, the the Johnson administration. He came and tried to negotiate deal with America. At that time, he wanted to have a partnership with the American companies. Because the American companies, they had a monopoly on you know, the oil business, the sugar business, the hotel business. They had a monopoly on those businesses. So he wanted to be 50-50 with the companies. But, they, you know, America, they like to be greedy a lot of time. They didn't want to negotiate with Castro. So, therefore, he ended up going to the Soviet Union and get help from the Soviet uh, At that time, that's when the embargo was, was opposed against Cuba. That being said, there's a lot of things that the Western media don't tell you about Castro. Castro have helped a lot of countries, like South Africa, for instance. When Mandela was going to apartheid, he sent out troops. He sent out, you know, people to help him, Mandela. And Mandela thanked him do, be, do before he passed for his tremendous effort for helping the, the, the South African government. And he also helped, you know, other African countries in South America. He helped, you know, Colombia. He helped a lot of other countries that were suffering under tyranny. So that being said, he helped a lot of people. Now, as a dictator, of course, he's going to kill people. 
you know, if you disagree with him, you know, if if you are done wrong by him, more than likely you'll, you'll be executed. So that's, you know, that's all dictators. That's just the way things are with dictators. Even if the president kill people all the time. So he's not, you know, he's, he's not the only one that does those things. Uh, when you're talking to the white Cubans in Miami, they like to tell you, oh, Castro is a pendejo, Castro is this, his daddy, he's a maricong. And then the thing that they fail to tell you is how did Castro came about? I said, if Batista was doing well by the country, you know, <laughs> he would not take over. He would have just laid back in the cut. But because Batista felt the people, the people was illiterate. When Castro came, uh, pres- uh, took over, he made sure that everybody had free st- school for black and white. Because remember, don't forget, remember, at that time, Cuba was very racist towards black people. There's a lot of things black people could not do in those. They couldn't dance, they couldn't play their music. They couldn't do a lot of things. They couldn't go to school. They couldn't do. They couldn't get housing for the most part. And Castro got rid of all that stuff. So now black people was able to get housing. They was able to get free health care, free school, which under Batista administration, they didn't get those things. So that being said, that's why I say, uh, you know, I'm calling this podcast Fidel Castro Unbiased because there's a lot of things the rest of the media won't tell you about Castro. They're, all they're going to say is they're gonna say he's a dictator, he's a, he's, a, he's a tyrant, and that's all they will push on your head all the time. But you have to look at the whole picture for you to get a, to a better understanding. If you listen to those white Cubans in Miami, it's, one, it's one-sided. They're going to just tell you that Castro is a pendejo, Castro is this, Castro is that. But they're not going to tell you, like, Batista. If you say, what about Batista? You know, how was him? How was his administration? Did he treat the Cuban people well? And you're going to hear a pin drop. They're going to get, because a lot of them, they support Batista. That's why they end up getting kicked out of the country. Like the, uh, that family, um, Bacardi. I know those of us who drink Bacardi, uh, they have a, a warehouse over here in North Florida. So they, uh, they was very prominent in Cuba. So uh, Castro wanted to work with them also, but they were being greedy. They didn't want to share their profit with the, co- with the government. So therefore, they end up getting kicked out the country. They end up settled in Puerto Rico. Puerto, Puerto Rico, that's where they end up setting up and they end up coming to Miami Beach. So a lot of those, you know, there was two exodus out of Cuba. The first exodus was in the late 60s, and the second was the early early 80s. So the, the late 60s, those of us who don't know, that's when Castro kicked a lot of those white Cubans out the country. And they were, they were white, so they was able to integrate into white society when they come to America. Now, the second exodus were when he shipped out the rest, people from jail, which he was, he did that on purpose because he he spies the U.S. government what about the embargo. So what he did was he retaliate. He released a lot of ex-convict from the prison and he shipped them to America. That is true because of because uh, of what America was doing over there. You know the bear the bear pig. You, you guys know about that when JFK sent out troops. And that was against his wishes, but he he's, he he they sent out the troops to go um, overtake Castro, and Castro ended up killing them. And most of them was ex-Cubans, that um, expat that uh, um, went to America, and they become CIA agent, and they went over there to overthrow the the, uh, the Fidel Castro government, and they didn't they didn't they they fell miserably. They all got killed at the at the shore. That being said, Castro is a very prominent leader. For the past, you know, centuries, you know, 
And he's the most prominent uh, he, he, leader we have seen thus far. And there have been all other leaders in South Africa that was very prominent also. But he stood the test of time after all the assassination attempt that, that was done by the U.S., primarily by the U.S. and other countries that tried to take him down. And he was still able to overcome those um, assassination attempts. That being said, um, there's a lot of things that uh, Castro did. And the media didn't really talk about you know how, how he uh, helped other countries like South Africa, Rwanda, New Guinea, even the Congo. He helped them a lot with you know sending Cuban troops to help them fight the you know the English troop and other Belgian troops that was staying there. But those are the things that they won't talk about. They they talk about his dictatorship. Yes, like I told everybody, every dictator have killed people. Every president have killed people. Uh, if they disagree with you, sometimes if you pose a threat to their administration or whatever it is, they will get rid of you. That's just every government does that. They, or they put you in jail. That's what they do. Either way, they, they do one or the other. Put you in jail or they get rid of you. They assassinate you. So that being said, it's not something that only Castro does. Other dictators have done it throughout the world. So... Castro, he was against what he also was against what was going on in Venezuela. Also, um, when the what's his name, uh, what's his name, uh, the guy they just killed not too long ago, he was against that. Um, he also advised him not to deal with America. So, um, so Chavez, he, he was uh, Chavez, Chavez from Venezuela. So he was he was he, was, he counseled Chavez on many occasions, talking about even Chief Cavara. Chief Cavara ended up get killed, get killed in um, Nicaragua. I think he got killed. Guatemala, I think it was Guatemala. He got killed because um, Castro had told him to lay low in Africa, but he left Africa. He came here to America, to the Americas, and that's when the U.S. government and with the the guerrillas. Um, well, uh, guerrillas, uh, soldiers in um, Guatemala, they, they capture him and they end up killing him. I, I remember I was reading, I was watching a documentary that one of the CIA agents, which a Cuban national, he took, he cut his hand off. I think he had him, he had a shake of our hands in a glass, in a glass case. I was watching a documentary where they say he still have it in his room, in his living room. So, which is those people are very demonic, like to say the least. You have to understand when you're looking at any leader, you have to be unbiased. You have to look at it from both perspectives, from the good and the bad and the ugly. And there's also, I, I go with this narrative, there's three sides to a story. There's the good and the bad and there's the truth. So you have to look at the story from three angles for you to get a better understanding of what's going on. But when it comes to Fidel Castro and his brother, Waru, there's a lot. And folk, Phil uh, Castro too. He grew up around poor black people, even though his father was a, a, a sugarcane owner, a farmer. He was a farmer. He was an owner of a farm, and he his father was Spaniard. Don't get it twisted. Phil Castro was a Spaniard by the end of the day, even though he was born at a wedlock, um, because from the story goes that um, his father had an affair with the maid. And his father had an affair with the maid. That's how he, he, him and his brother was born. Um, that's how they become. He was cast out to the family because he was he was not a he was a bastard child, according to reports that uh, his father had um, had an affair with the maid. So that's how uh, Kid Fidel Castro came to be. And then he had a great passion for black people and poor people in general. 
And that's why the people love them. Now, you might say the, the, the country has become communist. Yeah, you can make the argument if you want to, but this, by the end of the day, what did he do? What his legacy does? Now, you know, the embargo was U.S. The U.S. posed the embargo because they, didn't want, they wanted to control all the markets. Like I told you, the sugar cane, they wanted to control the, the tourist market, they wanted to control the oil business. They wanted to control every aspect of the country. So Castro was not going for that. He wanted to negotiate with the U.S. Say, hey, we might, we might do a 50-50 partnership. That would be make, make more sense. And the U.S. said, no, we're going to do a 90-10, where we do 90% of the profit, we'll give you uh, 20% or 30% or 10% of the profit. And then that's, not gonna, that's not good economics for a, for, a small, for a small island like that. So therefore, Castro said, you know what, let me go with the Soviet they push Castro to negotiate you. If they have negotiated Castro, I, I, I really, I really feel that he would not gone to the Soviet and and and, and work with the Soviet Union. He would work with America, but America, they would never tell you the truth when it comes to certain, you know, leaders. They always give you a false narrative. But he he came to America. People forget that he came to America to negotiate some deals that will help the island grow economically. But America refused to negotiate, and then they end up posing an embargo against the island. So that way, you couldn't travel to America. You couldn't send goods to America, to Cuba, because it would cost you a lot of money. That's why they're still driving those 1960s, 1950 cars till today as taxis in Havana. If you go to Havana today, you, you notice that there's a lot of cab drivers driving 1940s, Cadillac, Seville, you know, Plymouth. A lot of those old, old, old cars because they had those cars for years, for decades, in the in the island. But they become classic because people use them for photo, for photography, for documents. So is is a staple of the country now. So that being said, um, Phil De Castro to me, I think he was a good leader. Now he was not perfect, like I told you before. Nobody's perfect. Um, like I tell people all the time, if. If you there have killed one of your family members, I do understand you may have a different way of looking at him because he killed one of your family members. Um, I get all that. Maybe he put one of your family members in jail for decades at a time. So I get all that part, but but we look at the whole spectrum. We're looking at the whole leader as a whole. And then when it comes to illiteracy, he did a great job for the country. Now the country... Cuba, I think, ranked number one in the islands. And I mean, in the islands, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Americas, and the number one. Everybody know how to read in that country. And then they, they rank number one, too, in medicine. If you want to study medicine, uh, if you want to be a doctor or a nurse, and they give you free schooling, especially if you're black American, you're in America, you want to be a doctor, you can go to Cuba and study uh, medicine and for free. As long as you're willing to learn Spanish, they will give you a scholarship. As a matter of fact, he have given scholarship to black Americans to go study in Cuba to be a doctor because he, being a doctor in America is very expensive. It's very expensive to be a doctor here in America. It's very You're going to spend at least 300, 400 grand to finish that school or more than four, 500 grand sometime. So it's very expensive to be a doctor here in America. So he was offering free scholarship for you to study medicine in Cuba. As long as you're willing to learn Spanish, that was the criteria that they asked you. You pass it, you get the scholarship, and you pass the test, 
And once you pass the test and you are willing to learn, because everything going to be in Spanish, so you have to learn Spanish. So if you're willing to do that, you they can allow you to come to the island and become a doctor and get your license here in America once you finish your school. But that being said, that's why the, the, the Cuban doctors are ranked top. And I think they, they are the top 10 in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Because uh, we've been doing the earthquake in Haiti. They were the first one that, that was on the, on the, the floor. They were the first one there. Then the Israel, Israel was there to collect, you know how they are, they, they collect body parts and organs. But um, allegedly, but Cuba, Fidel Castro was a very prominent leader. You know, he was one of the one of the greatest leaders in the 21st century. One can argue. Um, nobody was able to deter him. He was a man of conviction. He stood his ground, and that's what that's what I like about him. He stood his ground. He he believed what he was fighting for, whether you agree with him or not. That's irrelevant. But what I'm saying is that he stood his ground. He he stood on his principles. And whether you like him or not, you cannot say he was a he was a pendejo. He had cojones. He got major balls. He got major cojones. So he stood his ground against the greatest power of the 21st century, which is the America. So that being said, you know he never backed down. He never backed down. He never wavered, not one time. So that's why I make him so great. Unlike the other leaders, they fold. He never fold. He never fold. Even though all those uh, assassination attempts against his life and his family, he never wavered. He never backed down. That's why I have tremendous respect for Fidel Castro. Rest in peace. Because he stood his ground. And that's a lot of those white Cubans, they hate that about him because they find, they, they couldn't kill him. They, they try everything. They try to poison him. They try to put bomb in his house. They try to bomb in his office. All those attempts was, was not successful. And that frustrated the white Cubans. I would always say the white Cubans, the black Cubans, they didn't, you, if you speak to them off the record, they're like, yeah, we had some issue with Castro, but for the most part, he helped a lot of black people over there. But when you talk to the white Cubans, especially those white middle-class Cubans, not the poor whites, the white middle-class. You see, I, you see, I changed the class here. I said the white middle-class. And they all vote Republican. And you wonder why. So they hate Castro with a passion. They don't want to talk about Castro. They won't mention Batista to you. If you mention Batista, you hear a pen drop. They will not talk. If you say, man, oh, what about Batista? You know, let's talk about Batista. How 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 is administration? How did he treat the people of Cuba? Because Batista didn't do a damn thing for Cuba. He let the, the Italian mafia run Cuba and American government run Cuba. And he himself, he murdered thousands of Cubans Especially student, when the student was protesting during the 50s, he killed a lot of students. And Castro was part of that clan during that time. Because remember, he studied law. So he was going to the Jesuit school in, in, in Havana. So he had to flee out the country, go to Mexico, and regroup and come back to overtake the government. So that's the thing that most those middle-class white Cubans won't talk about. The poor white Cubans, they will talk about it, but... They they will be fifty fifty on it, but you notice that when you talk to the middle class white Cubans, they will give you this one narrative that is Castro is is Castro is the problem, he's always been the problem. But they don't they will never they will never talk about Batista. When you say Batista, their eyes open. They get stupid and dumb. One day, I remember I had a discussion with an old Cuban, 
and we start talking about politics. Then we talk about Castro. And I said, sir, okay, I understand that you, you don't like Castro. I get all that. But how did he become to power? What propelled him to power? Was it Batista? Because Batista was not doing his job. And he paused. He looked at me. He said, oh, damn. Because I got him. I said, checkmate. Because I told him Batista was the problem. Because if Batista was doing his job, there would, there would not be a Fidel Castro. You understand? Tusabe. Comprende? There would not be a Fidel Castro if Batista was doing his job. Because he fell at his, his, his leadership fell. That's how Castro came to power. And Sheikh Kavar from Argentina joined him to take over the government. If Batista had done his job, we will never hear about Castro. You probably hear about him because he probably joined the government himself. or be, you, you will still hear about him in a different aspect, but he will not become the leader that he is now if he wasn't for Batista. Because Batista failed the country miserably. He stole about $400 million from the, 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 the Cuban National Bank and took that to exile to Spain. And that's how he, he ended up dying. He deceased. He ended up dying in, in, in Spain with his family. His children still live in Spain, as, as I speak to you today. Most of his grandchildren and children, some, live, some might live here in America, maybe Miami Beach. But a lot of them still live in Spain, okay? So they cannot go to Cuba because, you know, Guadalupe <laughs> is still there. So they cannot go to Cuba. So what I'm saying is that that's why I call this podcast Castro and Bash because there's a lot of things that the rest of the media do not discuss when, when dealing with any leader for that matter. Whether they talk about African leaders, Asian leaders, whether they talk about South American leaders, the Caribbean island leaders, there's a bias, you know, between they always give you the bad narrative. They give you one side of the story. They don't give you the other side. If you're talking to any white Cuban, particularly middle-class white Cubans, all they're going to zoom in on Castro fell leadership. It was Castro's fault that they put the embargo. It was not Castro's fault that they put the embargo because America was being greedy. Like, they always been. They wanted to control the market, and Castro was not going for it. Castro wanted to have a partnership with America, those companies, like um, um those um hotel motels, those um petrol companies and the tourism, and plus he wanted to kick the mafia out the country because the mafia they were sucking the blood out of the, the economy. Because remember they had a whole bunch of casino over there. I remember I told you guys, Havana was the first Las Vegas. You know when you look at it from the 40s, all the way down to the 60s, you know if you want to go for vacation, it was Havana or Haiti at the time. Because they have a lot of casinos, a lot of those uh, white people who go there for vacation, and that's why people have had become very prominent in this in the fifties and the forties, all the way down to the sixties, and to the early sixties. That's when everything kind of changed, you know, changed. Uh, but, but from the thirties, all the way down, I'll say from the forties, all the way down to early sixties, Havana was the place to be. But in the, actually, the late fifties. Havana was a place to be. That was a tourism place for everybody to go for vacation. That being said, don't listen to the hype. Get information and learn your history. Fidel Castro is one of the greatest leaders of the 21st century. Like I said, that's why I, that's why I call it Fidel Castro unbiased because I'm trying to be unbiased here. I'm looking from all the, spe- the, the whole spectrum here. I'm not trying to say it's one-sided. Like I said before, 
if Fidel Castro had put your family in jail, killed one of your cousin, I understand you may feel different about him. I, I get all that. But if you look at the man as a whole, as a leader, you cannot say he felt the country badly. It was, it was not him. It was America. If America was not put, put those embargo against Cuba, trust me, Cuba will be much better. Even though he's doing okay, it would have been much better. And you guys can argue all day, every day, but those are the facts. But that being said, that's what I got to say about this topic. I might do a part two to it with more information about Castro's personal life. Like I told you guys before, Castro was a bastard child. He was born out of wedlock. So, and he grew up around black people for all his life. He grew up in a sugar plantation. So that's another thing why he's so passionate. He grew up on a sugar plantation in Havana. Even though his father had money because, you know, he owned a plantation, so he had millions of dollars, he was able to put him in the best, you know, school, which is a Jesuit school. And those of us who go to Jesuit school, you know what I'm talking about. It's very expensive. And it's a private school at that, so it's expensive. So that being said, he got the highest education that money can buy. And then he was a very smart man. And you can knock his also... You know, they both, you know, he got the best education he could, money can buy because his father can afford it. But he have a very, he loved people. He really loved, he really loved the Cuban people. Now, you may not like his politics. You may not like his opinion on certain foreign policies. You may not like him working with other leaders. And that might be your problem with him, you know, how he went to Africa and helped other African country. A lot of those white Cubans, they, they, wasn't, they wasn't happy about him going to Africa helping those um, African countries. A lot of them was not happy about that, including the American government, the U.S. government. So that being said, that's what I got to say about that. Uh, Fidel Castro, I'm biased. Stay tuned for part two. I might go in, in more in depth about his life, you know, maybe his personal life. Um, if not, I'll just stick with this one. I might do a part two to that. Stay tuned for that. You guys have a great evening. Take care.